Are you guys at Leviticus 17? All right. Leviticus 17, 11. It says, for the life of the flesh is in the blood. And I have given it to you upon the altar to make atonement for your souls. For it is the blood. Hello. That makes atonement for the souls. Notice that. Underline that. For it is the blood that makes atonement for the souls. Now let's turn over to Genesis. Genesis 3. We're going to be in the OT tonight. Genesis 3. Genesis 3. Genesis 3. And we're going to be starting in um, verse 1. Listen, we're going to have to get an usher on the back row. AMZ, you going you to watch that back row for me tonight? Come on. You might have to pull out your knife, you know, whatever. Feel free. I got you. You got my back. Genesis 3 and verse 1. You there? It says, Now the serpent was more cunning than any of the beasts of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Has God indeed said, You shall not eat of the tree of the garden? And verse 2, And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat the fruit of the trees of the garden. But the fruit of the tree, which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, you shall not eat it nor touch it lest you die. And verse four, then the serpent said to the woman, you you will surely not die. Verse five, for God knows in that day you will eat it and you your eyes will be open and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw the tree and it was good for food, it was pleasant to her eyes. The tree was desirable to make one wise. She took of the fruit and ate of it. She also gave it to her husband And he ate of it. Verse 7. This is a key verse tonight. Then the eyes of both of them were open and they knew they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves coverings. Verse 8. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And Adam and his wife hid himself from the presence of the Lord. And then the Lord said, Adam. He said to Adam, where are you? And he said, I heard your voice in the garden, but I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. And he said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree that I commanded you not to eat? And then the man said, the woman whom you gave me. Well, (laughs) she gave me of the tree and I ate it. And then the Lord said to the woman, what is this that you have done? And the woman said, the serpent deceived me and I ate it. Now, let's jump down to verse 20. Everybody still here? And Adam called his wife's name Eve because she was the mother of all the living. And verse 21, also for Adam and his wife, the Lord God made tunics of skin and he clothed them. Amen. Everybody here? Everybody ready tonight? Everybody ready to receive? All right. If you're taking notes, the title message is cover me. Look to your neighbor and say, cover me. Act like you're on an FBI SWAT mission right now and say, cover me to your neighbor. Cover me. So we're talking about cover me tonight. And, uh, you know, how many of you watch watch cops or you watch police shows and uh, you hear. uh, What? Okay. All right. We got a heckler in the front row. So. If you if you watched any of those cop or police show, army shows, whatever, come on, MC, uh, you know th- there'll be guys about to bust in a uh, door of like a drug lord, 
And he say, now I'm going in. You better cover me. You better, you better have my back. Why? Because that brings security to the people. And nobody wants to feel like they're not covered. Nobody in this life likes to feel like that. That people don't have their back. You know, uh, there's a time when, uh, you know, you'll go do something crazy. Like I remember we were, we were, uh, jumping off some cliffs into, uh, Patoka one time. It was me, Sonny and Biff. And, uh, you like to know people have your back. And if you ever had one of those experiences, you say, well, you know, I'll do it. If you do it, we got to do it together. You got to cover me. You got my back, don't you? And of course, you know, I ended up jumping out and Biff said he had my back. He said he was covering me and we ended up, he said we were going to jump at the same time, but he stayed up on the uh, shore and I jumped out. And of course, knowing my diving skills, I belly flopped and, uh, just knocked the wind out of me for the rest of the day. And I was just, I could barely speak the rest of the day. And I got the wind knocked out of me. It was pretty rough. And we like people to cover us. And we, we like people to have our backs because we like being covered. And that's a natural thing for every human being to, to have and to need is to be covered. Now stay with me tonight. And in Genesis three, everybody there still there. Genesis three, uh, it starts to tell the story of Adam and Eve. And really, I was thinking about this a lot lately, uh, answering some of these questions you have, like, why is it important that uh, Jesus died? Why did he have to shed his blood on a cross? What's the deal with sacrifices? What's the deal with me needing to be covered by God? What's the whole big deal? And those questions need to be answered because if they're not answered, you're going to take the cross for granted. You're not going to see the importance of what Jesus did and live a life not worthy of what he did for you. Hello, somebody. And so we need to realize why we needed to be covered, why somebody had to have our back and our friend couldn't have our back. And guess what? Our parents wouldn't have our back, but God had to have our back to cover us. And so we, we see this in Genesis 3, and this is the first account of the first man, the first woman in the Garden of Eden. And this is the account of, of the first sin that ever happened, ever. And so in Genesis 3, it talks about, you know, they get in a conversation with the devil. The devil's trying to say to them, did God really say that? And that's how Satan gets a lot of us. God already tells us what we need to do in his word. Hello, somebody. Or he tells us what to do. And the devil will come tempt us either uh, with thoughts, with pictures, with other friends that ain't right. Trying to come and say, did God really say that you couldn't do that? And the whole point is trying to discredit what God already said. So that was this, those kind of temptations. That's not just for those who live in 2011. This is for the first people that ever lived. You know, Satan doesn't have any new tricks. He just recycles the old, stupid, dumb ones that people have been falling for for years. Hello, somebody. Because Satan is not intelligent like God. God is a creator, and Satan is a fallen angel at best. He doesn't have creative power in it. So anything he does is he tries to pervert what God has already made. Because sometimes we give the devil too, too much credit, like the devil and God are battling with each other. There's no competition. If you realize, mankind is created higher than angels. Hello, somebody. And he is a fallen angel at best. So there's no competition. But if he can, he can use the same tricks that he used on these people in the garden. Now notice this. Once they sinned, let's look at verse 7. Once, once they ate of the tree, God told them not to, and they ate of it. In verse 7 it says, Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they knew that they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves coverings. 
Notice that the eyes of both of them were open and they knew they were naked. When sin comes into your life, that's what happens. Your eyes are opened up and you know that you're naked. And, and notice their response. They knew when they sinned, they needed to be covered by something. There needed to be covering. They couldn't keep going on like they were. Are you with me tonight? So notice their eyes were opened and they knew something was wrong. They knew they needed to be covered. They felt guilty as soon as sin happened. And God put that need in them to be covered on the inside of them. And, and really, I, I agree with this completely. And everyone on this planet knows there's something wrong on the inside of them. Apart from God, there's not one of us in this world that, that we know on the inside of us that there's something wrong. And something needs to be fixed. Some people got more pride than others and won't say it to each other. But when they're at home late at night, when nobody's talking, they know that there's something wrong on the inside. There's some kind of nakedness on the inside. And they know they need to be covered by something, but they don't know what. Because that's in them. They know that they need to be covered because they're naked. Just like these first two. They might not be physically naked, but they're naked spiritually on the inside. And they know they need something to cover them up. A lot of people know this. They know they need to make up for the wrong stuff they've done, but they don't know how to make up for it. You know, this is something uh, I've been really studying and thinking about lately is if you study different cultures, different religions of all different kinds, not just Christianity, there's a lot of the same similarities in the things they believe. You know why? Because God has put that into every person's heart that has ever lived. He's it says in Ecclesiastes, he's put eternity in our hearts. So everybody that's born on this planet knows that they need God. They know that there's a higher power instinctively. Whether somebody tells them or not, because why God planted that within everybody. And they know this. In Romans 1, 19 through 20, it says they worship the creature rather than creation. And God revealed himself to them. If you study cultures, you study religions, like I said, all these different cultures and religions, they all believe that there is a God or gods. They all believe that there's sin or there's wrongdoing. And you know what the third thing they all believe in? They all believe in sacrifices. Why? Because they all know they need to be covered by something. Sometimes they don't know what they need to be covered by, but they know they need to be covered by something. Check me out. All, all world religions, you check them out. They all have the, some of the same basic things. Why? Because God has put that into their heart. That there is a God. And there's a desire to know Him in everybody. And number two, that they know that there's wrong in the earth. There's no, they know there's sin. Whether they call it sin or not, they know that there's right and there's no that there's wrong. Why? Because God has put a conscience on the inside of every one of us here. And we're born knowing that there's right and there's wrong. But thirdly... There's, there, there's also known as people know that there needs to be sacrifices or they need to be covered. Every religion, every culture has this. You know, you've seen on TV, they'll either sacrifice animals, they'll sa they're sacrifice people, they'll, they'll uh, either bring their gold coins to a temple or they'll, you know, gather their, their freshest fruit and bring it to a deity or a god or an idol. Why? Because they know that there's something wrong and they know that they need to be covered, but they don't know how to be covered. 
It's not just for Christians in America, it's around the world. Why? Because God has put that in their heart, that they need to be covered. They need to be right with some creator. They need to have their sins covered. They need to have their wrongdoings covered. So they'll do whatever. They'll kill an animal. Some, some people will sacrifice their own children. Some people will give all their money away. Some people will bring the, the best fruit to idols and deities. Why? Because they know they need to be covered. They know they need to be taken care of because they know they're not right on the inside. And some people go about it different ways, but God has put a conscience in each one of our lives to know right from wrong, to know good from evil. And that's even before you get saved or know God. Everybody has that. People can try to argue that, but you know on the inside, you have a conscience and you know what, what's right and what's wrong. Even apart from godless people know right from wrong. They know better to not punch a woman in the face because they know that's wrong. They know better to steal money from old ladies. Now, some people push down their conscience, but doesn't mean they still don't know it on the inside. Why? Because God has placed that in all of our hearts. And you know, um, in Mere Christianity, the book by C.S. Lewis, he talks about this, and he called it the law of human nature. And really, C.S. Lewis was one of the greatest writers on apologetics, approving the existence of God and why there is a God and why Jesus is the only way. And he talks about this when talking to people that try to argue the idea of there being a God. He argues the point, there's a law of human nature that every person on the planet instinctively knows right from wrong. But who told you that right from wrong? Because some people, before they even have parents, know that the stuff's wrong and stuff's right. Why? Because there is a supreme lawgiver in heaven that put it into your heart before you even hit this planet. Hello, somebody. And there is a God who put that in your heart, put a conscience there. So why? You would seek after him once you, you had knowledge of him. And so we, we see this here that we know right from wrong. And we know we do wrong, but we know we need to make up for it, you know. Just like in the Garden of Eden, you know, when you do wrong, you have a couple different responses. And they're really not any different than what Adam and Eve's were. You know, when I was a little kid and I'd do something dumb or do something wrong and know I was about to get in trouble, guess what I would do? I'd go hide. First of all, I'd go run away. Then I would hide. Same thing Adam and Eve did. Why? Because we know instinctively when we're wrong, we feel like we need to be hidden. We need to be covered. Hello, we need to be covered. We need something to cover us up because we know we deserve wrong for doing wrong. And the whole thing is, you know, people will call it different things. Different religions will call it certain things like, you know, some people will say karma. And that, that pretty much is, you know, I've done a lot of bad in my life, so I need to do just as much good in my life and probably a little bit more to make up for all the bad stuff I've done. And then if I do more good than bad, then I'm okay. That's what karma says. Why? Because they know instinctively they need to be covered from the wrong that they've done. So notice this. There's, there's this word, and this is going to be a key word tonight. And if, if you study theology or God, this will come up a lot. It's the word atonement. Now write that down. It's atonement. And the word atonement comes up in the Bible a whole lot. And what it means is the simplest definition in the Hebrew is the word atonement means to cover. It means to satisfy. It means to make amends for the wrongdoing that you've done. That's what this word atonement do, means. Why? Because God knows 
once you do wrong, that somebody needs to cover you. So notice that the, the word atonement means to cover. So notice this. Okay, we establish the fact that everybody needs to be covered by something. We establish the fact that, you know, God's put that in your heart. God's put him, him that you need to seek after him in your heart. He's put right and wrong in your heart, but he's also put this need to sacrifice or to make up or to cover or to make up for the wrong that you've done. And that, that's called atonement. It's to cover, to satisfy, to make amends for what you've done. And in Genesis 3, 7, we're still there. Genesis 3, 7, notice this. When their eyes were open, both of them knew that they were naked and they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Notice that they made coverings for themselves. You know, God didn't come up to them and tell them they were naked. How did they know that they were naked? Why? Because he had placed a conscience in their heart to know right from wrong. And as soon as you do wrong, as soon as you sin, the first response is to cover yourself with something. And that's what Adam and Eve did. Notice it says, they sewed fig leaves together and made them coverings. Nobody told them to do that. God didn't tell, tell them to do that. It was in their hearts because they know they need to be covered. The same thing still today is people know instinctively when you do wrong, when you sin, when you disobey what God has, has put in your heart, you know you need to be covered by something, but you don't know how sometimes. The thing is, I love this. Martin Lloyd-Jones said this. He said, the world is tremendously busy trying to cover up their nakedness and the glory that they have lost. Are you hearing me tonight? The world is tremendously busy trying to cover up their nakedness and the glory. You know, they know that they lost the glory. They know that they're naked, but the world is busy trying to cover up that nakedness. It's in their hearts. So I don't have to come here and, and tell lost people, guess what, you're naked and you've lost your glory and you need to cover up. They know it instinctively. But guess what, they do certain things to cover themselves up. I wrote down a, a few things here. People will use money to cover themselves up. Here's some fig leaves that this modern 2011 culture uses. When they sin, they use money to cover themselves up. If I just get enough money, then maybe I'll be a success in life. If I just get enough money, maybe this will cover up the nakedness. If I just do enough, if I just earn enough money, that fig leaf will not work. That fig leaf, guess what? It will be on you for a couple weeks and that fig leaf will start withering. Here's another fig leaf. Sex. Sex is a fig leaf. People know that they're naked. People know they need to be covered. So guess what? They know that. So guess what? They try to get as much sex as possible, thinking that that will cover them and feel that nakedness that they have. Figs won't work. Here's another thing. People sometimes take the opposite way. I'll give all my money away, and that will cover my nakedness. I'll go to the nursing home a lot, so that will cover my nakedness. These are all fig leaves. 
I'm going to do a lot of good works. I'm going to be really nice to people. I'm going to walk grandmas across the street. I'm going to give money at church. I'm going to pay my tithes. I'm going to smile at people. Guess what? That's a fig leaf. Fig leaves will not work. It will not cover you up. It might help, help you make, make you feel better for a couple days or a couple weeks, but that is a fig leaf just like Adam and Eve put on their body. It's just another fig leaf. And you know, when Adam and Eve were looking at each other, when they were uh, designing their fig leaf outfits, they thought that they actually looked pretty good to each other. And they were like, hey, you know, we, we look pretty good here. I mean, I really designed your fig leaf outfit awesomely. And, you know, I just, I just really think that, you know, this is going to work out for us. You know, we're not naked anymore. I feel good about it. But guess what? Fig leaves don't last. Fig leaves don't last. So that brings us back to that word atonement, which means to cover, to make amends for wrong done. And guess what? In verse 20, we're going to read from verse 20 here and still in chapter three, verse 20. Check this out. God shows us how to cover ourselves. God shows us how to cover ourselves. Why? Because he knows that we need to be covered. He knows we need to be uh, to make amends for our wrong done. And he saw what Adam and Eve did, and he goes, he's looking at him, he's like, that ain't going to work. Fig leaves is not going to work, guys. So in verse 20, verse 21, we're going to read it in here a second. God shows mankind, all mankind, what has to happen to cover yourself. In verse 20, it says, And Adam called his wife Eve because she was the mother of all living. In verse 21, also for Adam and his wife the Lord God, notice the Lord God made tunics of skin and clothed them. So what, this is what happened here. God came to them and said, guess what? Your fig leaves are not going to work. Your fig leaves are not going to work. I'm going to have to make something for you. And notice what he did. He killed an animal and shed an animal's blood for their sins. Why? Because God's way of doing it is... He, there has to be blood shed for remission of sins. That's who set that up. It wasn't man's idea that we sacrificed animals. And then, and then ultimately, Jesus was sacrificed. That wasn't a man-made idea. God has put that into, their, in, into everyone's heart, that there needs to be blood shed or a life given to make up for what you've done wrong. So notice this, in verse 21, blood must be shed and a life must be given to cover yourself. Let's look at Leviticus 17. Leviticus 17, 11. Leviticus 17, 11. We read this verse earlier. Leviticus 17, 11. Notice, and if you read Leviticus 16 and 17, it talks a lot about sacrifices and about animal sacrifices and what God requires from people. And notice it says, for the life of the flesh is in the blood, and I have given it to you upon the altar. Notice, here's that word, to make atonement for your souls, or to cover your souls. For it is the blood, hello, that makes atonement, once again, for your souls. God shows us here that, guess what, blood must be shed and a life must be given for our sin. It was his idea. And really what we see here in Genesis 3 is God's mercy and God's grace. You know why? Because Adam and Eve sinned. You know what? They should have died. 
Do you realize that? They should have physically had to pay for that and die. But guess what? God, already in Genesis 3, He's showing mankind His mercy, His grace, and His love. And he, guess what? He says, guess what? You sinned, you did bad, you deserve to die, but I'm going to kill this animal in your place. And it's going to cover your sin. Now, it's only a type and a shadow of things to come. It's not, it's not good enough to last forever. But for right now, I'm going to use this animal as a substitutionary atonement for what you've done wrong. Because you deserve to die. See, we don't like talking like that. But if we don't talk like that, we don't realize what Jesus has actually done for us. See, we've got to realize because we sinned, we're the ones that are actually supposed to die. See, if we, we don't really feel like that we deserve judgment and we deserve death then Jesus is not a big deal. But when we realize we sinned and we deserve to die to cover our own sin, and Jesus stepped in as the substitutionary atonement, he stepped in, he did no sin, but he stepped in for us that we might be made the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. That makes Jesus precious. That makes Jesus awesome. That makes you want to live for him the rest of your life. But notice what else God was showing him. Showing Adam and Eve in the garden. When God killed that animal in the garden, you know, Adam and Eve were were nearby when this happened. And you got to think about this. Adam and Eve hadn't seen anything but perfection, but life, but just the most amazing time of their lives. Okay, the Garden of Eden was heaven on earth. They never seen anything die because nothing dies in the Garden of Eden. But God, right in front of them, killed an animal in the garden. You've got you to gotta understand the significance of that. When you live in a perfect world, and you've never seen anything like death, and then God sacrifices an animal right in front of you, you know what that's showing them? God was showing them the price of their sin. This is what sin does to you. You see this animal that just died here? That should have been you. But because of my grace and because of my mercy, I killed the animal and I didn't kill you. That's how good God is. You know why God can say that? Because he's God. (laughs) Hello. When you created everything, you kind of get to make up the rules. And so God is showing Adam and Eve the severity of their sin. He's also showing them, guess what, guys? This is what sin does to you if you keep this up. God was showing that to them. You see this animal that's dead now and his blood is spilled out? That's what sin does to you. It doesn't bring life like I bring to you. That's what sin does to you. And in Romans it says, the wages of sin is death. Guess what? When you work for sin, guess what? Sin doesn't pay you uh, dollar bills. He doesn't, he doesn't uh, pay you white castles. Crave case. He doesn't pay you that. He doesn't pay you graders ice cream. He pays you death. Bummer. I know. Are you hearing me tonight? So the wages of sin is death. God was trying to show him this is what sin does to you. It causes death. But I've came to give you life and life more abundantly. But this is this is a type of what sin does to you. And really, when, when we think about it to this day, we can look at the cross and see that's what sin does to people. Because we, we're the ones that should have been on the cross. But that's what sin does to people. It beats them. 
It scourges them. It kills them. That's what sin does. You need to realize this, this, this idea of sacrificing animals after that. God let them for a temporary uh, time sacrifice animals because of their own sin, because of his grace and mercy. We see this in Cain and Abel were Adam and Eve's sons. And we, know, we all know this story, Cain and Abel. They were brothers. And Abel sacrificed an animal like God had said. But Cain brought veggies and fruits. Cain brought veggies and fruits. And so we see this in, this is very, in the, in the front of your Bible. Jesus, if you read this, the gospel is being preached in Genesis. If you're not seeing this. And notice what happens. Cain tries to offer up fruits and veggies, which God did not ask for fruits and veggies. He's, he's just like his parents that try to, do fig leaves? That doesn't work because blood must be shed for atonement to happen, for you to be covered. And notice Abel brought an acceptable sacrifice because he killed an animal. There was blood shed. So we realize this, and, and people are still like this today. There's a lot of Cain's out there that want to bring to God what they have labored for and something that they have done, but God will not accept that because it has to be what God has done. That's what he accepts. And notice, God only accepts what he's already supplied. And Abel took the animal, which he didn't create, that God made, and sacrificed it. But notice, Cain came and brought him his labor, his works. And God didn't accept it. That's religion. That's what people still do today. It says, if I do enough, I'll get credit enough to cover myself. If I come to church enough, if I give enough money, if I say enough prayers, I'll be acceptable enough to cover myself. You can't do enough to cover yourself. Blood must be shed to cover you. And we see this in Abraham. We see this in Abraham and his son. Everybody remember Abraham and his son Isaac. He went up on an altar and God said, sacrifice your son. But guess what? His son was not good enough for God. And guess what? In Genesis, the gospel preached once again. Guess what God says? Your son's not good enough. Guess what? I have supplied a ram. I've supplied something for you to offer that's not yours. Once again, God has to supply for your atonement. We see this in, in Leviticus 16. Am I shooting this over your head? You guys still here? Leviticus 16 and 17. You can read this later. This, this idea of sacrifices was all, it started with Adam and Eve, but it, they passed it on to their sons and their daughters. And, and we see this all during Genesis. But we get to Leviticus, and by this time, the whole nation of people have an actual day once a year where they call it the day of atonement or the day of covering where they sacrifice an animal for the sins of everybody. So this is still going on in Leviticus. And what happened was there was a high priest ordained by God that went once a year into the Holy of Holies and he sacrificed an animal on behalf of the whole nation and blood was shed. Notice he didn't bring him fruits and veggies. Blood must be shed for sin. And he would put the blood on the mercy seat for the whole nation. But notice that was only once a year. 
Next year, guess what? You're going to have to go find another cow and sacrifice that dude and have ribs and get the blood on the altar. Why? Because you know what? Goats and cows can only do so much. Their blood was only temporary. Their blood was only a type and shadow of the perfect blood to come. So notice this. He would put the blood on the mercy seat to atone for the whole nation's sin. And what was in, in on uh, the mercy seat was in the ark of the uh, on top of the ark of the covenant. Everybody remember Indiana Jones ark of the covenant. And so we see the ark of the covenant was here and the mercy seat was on top with with cherubims on each side and they put the blood on top but inside the ark of the covenant was the law was God's law. And really it was God's broken law. But as long as the blood was over the broken law, everybody was cool. Everybody was safe for a time. But guess what? Even that blood, it maybe made you feel a little better, but you were still guilty. You had a consciousness of your sin every time that year came, every time that sacrifice came around next year. Why? Because the blood of bulls and goats could not take the sin out of your heart. You guys still here? And we see this, that the broken law, as we said earlier, or sin brings death. And there's, there's one passage in the, in the Old Testament where it talks about uh, they were carrying the Ark of the Covenant. And the Ark of the Covenant had blood on top. In the mercy seat. And the mercy seat lid came off of the Ark of the Covenant. And guess what was exposed? The broken law. And as soon as that happened, everyone died who was around. Why? Because the broken law without a covering, your sin without a covering, it brings death. That's all it ever brings is death. We see this. In the New Testament, if you read your New Testament any, you see this word come up a lot. It's called propitiation. You ever remember that word in the New Testament? Usually in like the New King James or King James. Propitiation. Said so Jesus was a propitiation. That word in the Greek actually means mercy seat. That Jesus himself has become a mercy seat for us. And guess what? That mercy seat doesn't come off. That mercy seat can't fall off. That mercy seat, it doesn't have to have new blood every year. That blood is eternal and there forever. And it, it forever covers all of mankind. Forever. It's eternal. You notice the type and shadow of animals and goats. They had to do it every year. Because it wasn't good enough. You've got to realize this. You cannot atone for yourself. You cannot cover yourself. You could try like Adam and Eve did, but it didn't work. You could try like Cain did, but it won't work. You're going to have to have God himself cover you. Because you're naked without him. Notice this. You need to write this down. What God requires, God will supply. Are you hearing me tonight? What God requires, he will supply. See, I could have left it right there saying that you need to be covered. But guess what? Whatever God requires, God will supply the answer to that. That's what's so amazing about the gospel. That's so, so amazing about the good news is guess what? We need to be covered 
But guess what? God is going to supply our covering. See, there's no more burnout. There's no more, you know, I'm just kind of tired of the God thing. When you live with this in mind the rest of your life, whatever God requires of me, he's going to supply. For my marriage, guess what? He's going to supply. Guess what? He requires me to live holy. Guess what? He's going to supply that need. Guess what? He He requires me to preach. Guess what? He's going to supply the ability to preach. He requires you to do whatever you do in your business or career. Guess what? He's going to supply it. You know what? You know why people aren't aren't living in this? Because they think what God requires, they're supposed to supply. And that's what Adam and Eve thought. That's what Cain thought. But guess what? God said, what I require, I supply. And you know what? The ultimate revelation of this is Jesus himself. What God required was a perfect sacrifice and was the God-man. And guess what? He supplied it himself. Because man cannot atone for himself. An average man on earth cannot atone for himself. Why? Because he's born in sin. He's full of sin. But God had to come down and take on flesh and bone and live a sinless life. Guess what? So he could supply what he already required. And he... He's preaching this in Genesis. Thousands of years before Jesus came, God is preaching the gospel in Genesis. God is trying to reveal his plan. So if you're going to be covered, God is going to have to supply that. And he has. That's the good news. God has supplied that covering. Are you hearing me tonight? I didn't throw it over everybody's head, did I? He's got you covered. He's got your back. You don't got to do anything special but receive it. That's all you got to do. People, people sometimes cannot, cannot comprehend that. That all I got to do is actually just receive it. That's all I got to do. Put my faith in Jesus and receive what he's done for me. And then I'm covered. I don't got to make my own fig leaves. I don't got to sacrifice my own fruits and veggies. Guess what? I just got to have faith in what he's already done and that covers me. couple more points here. You guys still here? We're going to have some ministry time in a second. Actually, Mike, can you come up and play for a little bit here? We, uh, let's turn over to Hebrews 9. Hebrews 9. I'm glad you guys came tonight. I'm glad you guys came tonight. You guys are with me here. Hebrews 9. You guys picking up what I'm laying down tonight? <laughs> Come on. Notice this. You know, um, I know in our 2011 culture that we don't like uh, people to talk about blood. We don't like to talk about sacrifices because uh, it just sounds kind of inappropriate. Because we think we're, uh, you know, grown-ups. We think we're too civilized for, you know, all that blood talk. But we don't need to get away from that. Are you with me tonight? We need to realize this, that you, you should write this down. A bloodless gospel is a lifeless, powerless gospel. A bloodless gospel is a lifeless, powerless gospel. Are you hearing me? Without the blood, it's pointless. There's no power. There's no life in it. Because why? Leviticus 17 says it. There's only life in the blood. There's only life in the blood. There's only life in the blood, people. 
So we don't need to get away from this because we think we're grown because, you know, we live in America and we have nice houses and nice cars and it's fancy and whatever, but we don't need to get away from the blood because the blood, guess what? It's our victory. There's life in the blood. There's life in the blood. So let's never get away from talking about the blood of Jesus. Because why? It's our victory. The blood is our victory. A bloodless gospel is a lifeless, powerless gospel. There's no power without the blood. Because there's no covering without blood. And notice, it's not your blood. It's His blood. Perfect blood. So let's read in Hebrews here. Hebrews 9. Hebrews 9, and we're going to start in verse 11. Hebrews 9 and verse 11. It says, But Christ Jesus came as a high priest of the good things to come with greater and more perfect, a, a greater and more perfect tabernacle, not made with hands, not of this creation, not with the blood of bulls and goats and calves, but with his own blood, he entered the most holy place once and for all, having obtained eternal redemption. Verse 13, for the blood of bulls and goats, the ashes of a heifer sprinkling the unclean sanctified them, purifying the flesh. Guess what? How much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot to God, that he'd cleanse your conscience from dead works to serve the living God. In verse 15, and for this reason, he is the mediator of a new covenant by means of his death for the redemption of the transgression under the first. And those who are called may receive the promise of eternal inheritance. I'm going to read this from the message as we close here. Hebrews 9. Just listen to me as I read this. It says, But when the Messiah arrived, he was the high priest of the superior things of this new covenant. He bypassed the old tent and trappings in this created world and went straight into the heavenlies, to the true holy place once and for all. Notice this. He also bypassed the sacrifices consisting of goats and calf's blood, instead using his own blood, as the price set us free once and for all. If that animal blood and all the ritual perfections were effective in cleaning up certain matters and behavior, guess what? How much more will the blood of Christ clean up our whole lives inside and out? It says, through the Spirit, Christ offered Himself as an unblemished sacrifice freeing us from all those dead-end efforts to make ourselves respectable so that we can all live out this life for God. That's amazing. Notice that he said, he's freeing us from all those dead-end efforts to make ourselves respectable so that we can live out this life for God. Why? Because you can't cover yourself. Every kind of fig leaf you try to put on is a dead-end effort that gets you nowhere. And there's a lot of people that are just going around in circles the rest of their lives down dead-end streets. 
going nowhere. Thinking that if I got a better job, I'd be happy. Or if I got a new mate, I'd be happy. Or if, if I gave more away, I'd be happy. No, you've got to be covered. And those are all figs and fruits. But you've got to be covered by blood. We're going to have some ministry time here. But before we do that, let's have every head bow, every eye close real quick. Gonna ask a couple questions here as we close tonight. 